Rocking chair, chair sessions. sessions. With Elisa Di Battista, Maria Teresa Barbara. Hello, everyone. And welcome to another RCS Rocking Chair Session, Volume 142, with artist Evelyn Pollitzer. Welcome, Evelyn. Hi. Thank you for having me. Thank you for sitting with us digitally um, via our, I think, Skype Rocking Chair Sessions, we're calling it, um, Skype Sessions. <laughs> and um, thank you, for Maria, for being here, too. Um, we're looking forward to sitting down with you because we've had to reschedule you a few times due to school. I want to jump into that. Talk to us about your master's program that you're currently in, please. Uh, okay. Um, so... The MFA program is at the Miami International University of Art and Design, nice. uh, downtown Miami, across the street from the from the Art Center, and it has really. I'm I've been there for a year and a half now, and it has really been a great experience for several reasons. Um, even though it's a very small program with like 40 artists. Uh, and I think I'm the only one like at least declared fiber artist. Uh, I get to experience and get to know a lot and learn from different uh, 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 artists. They are a lot of painters. They are some uh, sculptors. The sculpt uh, people yeah, that do sculpture, sculpture ceramists, um, they are the, the the younger ones do a lot of video art, video installation. They are some photographers. They are a lot of people that feed from from each other's experiences and um, and different type of art. What made uh, you decide to go pursue it? Okay, um, I always say that I, I did things in reverse in, in my life instead of uh, when, when, when I was a college age kid, I, I went to study law in my, in my country, even though I think I always had the, the art part inside of me. But, well, I guess I came, my, in my family, it was better to be a lawyer than to be an artist. So that's what I did. And then, uh, unfortunately, I went into law. That that is something that, as you can imagine, every time you you move from one country to to the other, you have to start all over again. Yeah. So when I I first moved from from my country from Uruguay to I got married to my husband like. 30 years now, <laughs> that he's from Argentina. So my first move was from to Argentina. And right there, when I went to find out what, what, how do I do, how did, what did I need to, to get Transfer my papers? Yeah, exactly. I basically had to, to, to start all over again. So 
that's and and right then I, I I got pregnant with my twins and then we moved to Brazil and then we we came to the to the states and when we moved to 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 New York I, I, I said well this is my time to really do what what I like and so I started going to to Parsons <laughs> and that's when I started to Right there, it wasn't very clear for me that I, I wanted to be an artist. So I went more into design. And I did a certificate in, for interior designers. I am an interior design. And then a designer. And then I discovered that, yeah, even though I love design and I still do a lot of things nowadays in with the with the knowledge I acquired there in, in Parsons, uh, I I I didn't enjoy the the so much the part of working with people. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> what I enjoy the most was creating at home by myself. But funny enough, one of the reasons I I chose to go back to 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 pursue my MFA now at MIU was because I was too lonely in my studio. <laughs> so that's the way I think, life yeah. was. I think it's so funny. It's different. Yeah, the, the comparison of working with a client, per se, which is another individual, they have specifics as to what they want to have achieved versus when you are an artist or a student, you're collaborating with other individuals, you're getting feedback, you're bouncing ideas off. You're still making what you want to do normally. So I think yeah. that's, you're working with people in a different way. And it's more, it's a more enriching and kind of um, less uh, challenging in that you don't have to have a product, but it's still challenging in other ways that you're still working with other personalities. Does that make sense? Right. Yes, right. Yeah, no, I, I did have this conversation with a professor of mine in in uh, in the in MIU, and he was telling me that like I need because we were talking about my website, and I, I always want to incorporate both because that's the way I am. I have both uh, interests, and I think I I enjoy doing design as much as I enjoy doing art. And but I think it's it's a little bit of what you said. The design part is more about solving other people's problems or no, not problems, no, but but getting things done uh, through their eyes, what they want. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of times you also have to be a psychologist for other people. Yeah. And making I, can see, I can totally see that, especially like I was just thinking about also like the artists we spoke about, like, for example, we spoke to a couple of architects as well. Right. Or interior designers who are like artists as well. And it's kind of like this. The limiting thing is also like being an architect to work with another person and create like this home that they want. And I think it's so hard Um for people to really know what they want also, right? Yeah. Sometimes they do, they just don't know. So you kind of have to help them to even figure out what they want because exactly. they might want something one day and then they want something the other day. And it's kind of like this right. whole psychological process that you have to go through with them. But then yeah. you're also like the designer. So it's kind of like you're not really their psychologist either, you know? So it's kind of interesting yeah. that way, yeah. <laughs> 
And also, you, you need to inform people of, of a lot of things that they have no idea what what goes on in a, when, when you're making an interior and in terms of everything from lighting to color to furniture to, I don't know. So, but yeah. I still enjoy it and I still do a lot of things. Um, I have, a, I don't know, no, I don't have it in my website, but I... I uh, work sometimes with furniture and a yarn bomb furniture so i try to incorporate both things into um into into the interior design with with my art mm -hmm. and you do on your website you do have uh, also lights right is it, so you're yeah. like you're still doing like which is not which is like now not um like it's still an artwork you know it's not yeah. like a it's not like a just like a light design or thing but it kind of combines yeah. it in that way you know that it is yeah. still something that was also functional even if it is yeah. like uh, yeah. an artwork as well yeah yeah that, in that way is that we I, i always say that interior design tries to solve problems but I, I try to do it in an artistic way. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, the I call them luminaires. Luminaires, <laughs> yes, I like luminaires. that a lot. Yeah, and the, the market for, for luminaires is going more and more into the artsy uh, way because everybody wants to have a unique, uh, I don't know. Uh, lighting fixture, yeah. Or, yeah, or lighting fixture, or however you want to call it. And and there's there's so many well with fibers or even with the other day I was trying out a, a knitted wire like color wire and it looks great <laughs> <laughs> from what you saw in the in the website it's all a, it's linen and it's bamboo yarn mm -hmm. that I knit mm -hmm. but but I, as I told you I was trying to to knit with very very thin wire like just to make it more durable yeah and i think also looking further back into the history like bauhaus was for example this movement that was really like embracing design and art together and not kind of trying to de you know make this big divide that like art is feeling like superior to design or you know our design is like feeling superior to art i don't know if that exists but there is kind yeah. of like this tension at the moment right also if it if it is in schools or if it is between artists or and designers or um so i feel like i feel like we should go back to where bauhaus was right and just like really see also our environment as like part yeah. of the process you know yeah um i don't know just It a thought more harmonious and i think um Even just beautiful. I think that only because something is a utilitarian object doesn't mean that it can't be beautiful. And I think that that's something that in terms of mass production and just um, output in terms of like, I would say more like companies or industries that are trying to like produce, produce, produce. For them, not all the designers that they select are are necessarily designers that um, are thinking more of an artistic way, but they're just thinking the utilitarian way of the function of whatever tool it is, whether it's a garbage can. I think the last time, maybe two, three years ago, um, I, I've seen them in Miami now, but I went to New York City um, by the Shishama, like Brooklyn um, Army Terminal. They have like a residency out there. And there was this garbage can. I was fascinated by a garbage can. And it was because it was designed in such a unique way that it was quite um, just beautiful. It was really, it, was, it looked like a sculptural object. And so um, coming to your art, work and how you build your sculptural pieces and trying to combine the light with um 
the usage of new materials like fibers. When did you decide going back to school that you wanted to use materials specifically in the fiber world? I mean, I think Maria is a fiber artist as well. She could definitely. Yes. Why? Yeah, that's how we met. Right? We met in the that's fiber. How met. That's how we exactly. met. We that's met in the fiber group that uh, P- Pamela Palma put together wow. in the bakehouse right. originally in the bakehouse, and then we also were in the in this church that is no more uh, where there were studios, right? Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. Aurora had a studio there, and Ernesto, no, not Ernesto, Augusto yeah. was Augusto. also there. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, we met when we were kind of like trying to get the fiber crew together, right? In Miami. Exactly. And, yeah. Um, so yeah. why fibers? Because it's quite unique but niche, you know? I know. I think, um, well, as, as I told you, when I. Uh, started uh, after after my interior design phase, uh, I discovered that I've been doing fibers in one type or with one technique or the other my whole life. I started uh, knitting and embroidering when I was maybe seven, eight, and then I started uh, tapestry weaving when I was 15. And then after that, the first time I, I traveled to the States, I did patchwork. But it was never the the, the Amish type uh, patchwork. It was always more like a free form kind of thing. The same thing with the tapestry weaving. And after the, the patchwork, uh, I did um, like a like a break for a moment for for some time because we moved from one country to the other and then finally when my kids went they left for college i i i went i they they went up north and i wanted to keep them warm so the first thing that i did i went to to in, in town there was a, a knitting store called aniki's a something Aniki something and so the first thing they asked me is oh but it, well so I told them what I wanted to to make something warm for my kids and they told me oh but if you're from Uruguay you should you should uh, have a look at this new line of super soft and very very colorful all hand dyed wool it all hand dyed in 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 my country in Uruguay and I don't know, well, in Uruguay, they are more sheep than, than actual inhabitants. I think there are like six <laughs> or seven sheep per, per human being. So wool was really so readily available when I was a little kid that there was more wool and some other uh, natural fibers than the, the actual synthetic fibers. So that's when I saw that that line of of new products. Uh, usually, Uruguay was already known for their hand dyed uh, wool called a uh, manos del Uruguay, so hands, no, from 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 Uruguay. That it was uh, funded by by women in the city, in the capital city, Montevideo, to help a uh, rural women. A produce and do something with the with with wool that that was so so much. So they did, yeah. They with this um, non for profit organization called Manos del Uruguay. They they hand dyed the wool. So 
for me, that was always beautiful that n- not two skeins or, uh, of yarn are the same because they're all dyed by these uh, ladies and the, uh, the climate is different, the sun, the, the dyes, everything. So sometimes if you, if you drove around rural areas in, in Uruguay, you could see the skeins of, <clears throat> of very colorful yarn hanging around the, the clotheslines. <laughs> so for me, that was when I was a kid and now going back when my kids left for college and I discovered this new brand of also hand-dyed wool called Malabrigo, uh, that on top of the, the wool that came from my country was the softest wool and it, they have it, I don't know how many colors, but I would say more than 200, 300 different colors and combinations and, wow. and weights of yarn and this and that. So that was like love at first sight. And this was 15, yeah, 15 years ago and I wow. never stopped. Knitting and that was, and what, was that knitting or crocheting? Yeah. Knitting, right? Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. funny I because that's I, also like, uh, I, I, well, I learned it as a kid to knit. Did, did you learn? in Uruguay how to knit right yes Mm -hmm. yes, and how to weave weave as well and how to crochet yeah yeah Uh no crochet was something that I I came about here Mm -hmm. because I wasn't very happy with the 2d flat surfaces of the knitting same with you Maria yeah yeah I can tell by your Instagram that you are forming the pieces flat right 2d and then you're sculpting right yeah I, I i can never just stay 2d it's like it's a problem it's like the same with paintings like i always do something in 2d and then i have to make it 3d it's just like i probably am just a sculptor that's why i'm yeah. doing it but yeah. uh yeah it it, yeah. It, it it is like um so the weaving is usually 2d like the creating of the fabric basically or the textile and then piece and then I I shape it into 3D and you do that too right you do a lot of yeah I call them soft sculptures yeah it's what I was saying once you go into 3D it's hard to go back unless you want to form the soft sculptures yeah yeah Yeah, it's so, it's yeah. really interesting. Like I feel uh. like with textile, it's really interesting because it always has this connection also to to like uh, for me, it's also like this <laughs> maternal heritage, you know. But it's mm. also from mm. my country. It's also like uh, I'm not as connected to maybe the wool, but I really love. I always touch text. Like even if I buy like a shirt, I have to touch it and if it doesn't feel good I'm not gonna wear it like, yes. like there is like this touching you know like you described like the Tactile. I think I was using a lot of merino wool or like you know when I was now I'm using a lot of chute do you say that Jute? hemp I think it's hemp yeah but it's, you, it's spelled j-u-t-e jute jute yeah which is it doesn't feel good but I like the for the sculptures I like the sturdiness of it I think but it's interesting how it kind of connects you back to your country right also to Uruguay by the way I was listening to the national uh, uh, national song how do you call it of Uruguay 
the the hymn the, the hymn the, the national hymn and it sounded so like austria i was like really impressed <laughs> and i was like do you know who wrote I, that hymn that is like it, i was i was feeling like i'm in vienna or no, something like that i don't i can find out yeah we should find out i was listening to it because i was looking up uruguay i was like i you know i did not know where uruguay is located so i know right. i'm still so yeah. illiteral about south america but It's you're okay. very much south like you're like south yes. of brazil between Brazil yeah. and Argentina, right? Yeah, Can you it's Montevideo, it's the, the Montevideo, you, yeah. capital. And it's uh it's by the water, right? It's um yeah, it on has the Atlantic Ocean. It has an it has the Atlantic Ocean. Can you tell us a little bit about what it was like growing up in Montevideo, you know, yes. the the heritage or like the I don't know, the yeah. culture The, the political yeah. situation too, like because it's, it was very difficult, right. right? Yes, yes. When when I was growing up, the the there was a military coup, and I, there there are some things that never leave my mind. Like when I went to to law school, I wasn't allowed to wear jeans, for example, because the the militaries were in the in the government. So that that was something that would never cross a college age kid to through their minds but that was something that that I never forget and you you couldn't there was you know how now they tell you not to go out a after I don't know 10 o'clock 11 o'clock at night because of all this the curfew things. yeah there when when the militaries when the militaries were in 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 my in the government You couldn't you couldn't go out. You couldn't gather with friends. They, they were tough times. But then, I don't know. Everything came back to normal and to to the democracy. And now I think it's a very nice uh, country. It's very small and it's not as economically developed as many people would wish for. But It's okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and was your decision to leave? I heard you were you went to Brazil first uh, yes, before yeah. coming to the states. No, well, no, no. It was uh, because of economical reason. No, it was only because of my husband's work. Uh, job. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. But but if you if you like want to go back to fibers, I also. Um, Because I'm not a painter, I know you. You also paint, uh, and but uh, I think what I enjoy the most about fibers is that it's it's such an interdisciplinary form of art. Uh, and again, like we were saying, it blurs the the limits between craft, art, uh, and design. And um, what I do nowadays it also is a or what I enjoy the most about fibers is that you can mix the like historical ancient techniques like weaving or knitting with very um, cutting edge uh, digital, digital technology. And uh, because there are so, so many fibers that are Created, you know, 3D. They're they're machines. They're already de uh, developing machines to do knitting 3D, and there's so much uh, 
to do and uh, sometimes you can even combine the fibers with uh, with chemistry with biology because there you use well i use fibers that come from animals and for plant from from plants and even engineering i don't know if uh, you going into the san francisco airport i think one of you girls were that big enormous uh, sculpture like a like a net colorful it was made by a fiber artist called Janet Echelman that she she works with architects designers engineering sound I mean lighting people and I'm sure you saw the her sculptures there she's developing in a lot of different cities and um, and going back to my masters, I'm already thinking, okay, so how can I combine my fibers with, I already did printmaking, I did a collage with, with Nicole, um, the one you interviewed, Maynard. Maynard, yeah, Maynard. We did collage, everybody did collage with paper and I was the only one doing collage with fibers. And uh, Sometimes I do jewelry. I'm trying to get into a little bit more high-end jewelry with my fibers, and I always say that. Um, so it's it's really the richness of it. It's like you can do mixed media, or nowadays it's also called surface design, and um, it's it's really a, a language that everybody can speak. It's very universal. You don't need to speak. I don't know. You can communicate with any person in, in Asia, and you don't even need to speak the, the language, no, or vice versa. And, um, well, <laughs> that, that was my question, why fiber? <laughs> I... We discussed the material, and I wanted to start discussing um, the actual forms and the sculptures and things that you're creating. I know that you had an exhibit at the airport, the Miami International Airport. Right. Um, could you talk us through um, how you were able to apply for the show, how you got for the show, how eventually you um, filled these two spaces different? Um, I think it was like, it looked like a diptych almost. It was like one on one side, yeah. one color palette, and then the other side was a different color palette, and the forms changed from one to the other. Can you more or less walk us through that process? Yes, yes. Well, the, the application was like a normal application, but I think you know that the, the, when they tell you 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 got the at the right place in the right moment with the right people, <laughs> and I think I don't. That's why I always I'm always so thankful with the whole Miami uh, art scene because I was always very lucky, very welcome. And uh, I worked with the curator, uh, Yolanda Sanchez, uh, that she used to be uh, the Miami, um, um, the, the lead person for the gallery for, I think, like 20 years. And she was just retiring and she always wanted to do something with fibers. So when I applied, it's like I told you, it was I was really lucky, and she was the curator for for my show, and we worked very closely. And she's such a you. I learned so much from her. I was so lucky that it, I think we worked for maybe five months. 
Wow. Because, okay. Yeah, because it was going to be one thing, then it turned out to be another. Th- you know how <laughs> it's always like that. And oh, yeah. Two large, I, I don't know if you saw They're it. Very They're large spaces. very large spaces. Like, yeah. yeah, they're 22 uh, feet uh, wide by maybe six or seven feet high. And we both knew we wanted to tackle the environment. Mm-hmm. So um, when when she had to write about it, she called it um, knitting as poetry because most of the pieces are, are knitted first. And then, as we discussed, we, I, I did the... <coughs> The, the the sculptures and it was the reflections of the on the natural environment and one of the windows was a with the <clears throat> had cool colors and it was it was called every drop counts that, that's part of the what you're seeing yeah that's what i was thinking of when i first saw it i saw it saw them as like drops like um right like yeah talking about water conservation yeah and well, also the the uh, when water is like you know, <laughs> and then uh, and the other one was more um, about nesting and nests have been s- a subject that for me it I'm still developing nests because it's uh, I was always um, very proud of my motherhood, so. Uh, this the this nests from the that I did for the airport was when when my nest was empty, so I guess there's a direct uh, relationship there and and that that um, that show really opened so many doors for for me in the whole Miami scene. I'm very I'm very lucky that I got to from like. To exhibit at the Vogue uh, Knitting Live, uh, there's a, they organize in various cities in the United States, the, and, and they always have a, an artist uh, gallery. And I, I, I went there, and I, I was invited to to exhibit there. Then <clears throat> from there, I also uh, got to know Dani Tapia. She's a, a curator for art and. She's a, I, I call her like an art connector here in Miami that I appreciate very much because from there she got me into different, you know how things are, they mushroom one into into another. And so I really, the, the it, it, it opened so many doors. No, and from there, right now, I'm a, into a, that unfortunately closed in a, <clears throat> In an, a group exhibit at Pancras Gardens. I don't know if do you. Yes, do you, it's been there. They have a really lovely gallery down south. Yeah. Right, and this was started by a Venezuelan artist called Carola Bravo, and she's also an architect. And she does. A, she wants always to combine art with culture, and with a, really to like to educate people from from small kids about art and sometimes she brings in nice uh, things or people that talk about food and it's it's a very it's a very nice program that that she and, and that she has and so uh, there i 
have my the the exhibit there is called a braided nature. So again, I, I think that nowadays my <clears throat> both my subjects about motherhood and nature they are always intertwined. <laughs> and in, pun intended. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. So what where was I? Ah, and another person that I. I, I got to to meet also was a Pip Brandt. She she's a professor at FIU, and she's also a fiber artist. And she would she she comes to me whenever she has a crochet or a knitting question, and I go to her whenever I have everything else. <laughs> she's very always very helpful. I I went to some of her classes, and then now another thing that just closed in just like at the end of March, was um, a, a, a show that I took part with other tw- uh, 25 other artists from Miami. Wow, that, uh, yeah, Rosie Gordon-Wallace, that, that's also uh, such a force here in Miami, such an art, an artist promoter that she, she got us to the Corcoran Gallery in, in Washington, D.C. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, amazing. It's across the street from the White House. When I got to the place, I couldn't, I, 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 I couldn't believe it. And that was a great show. Hopefully, hopefully, fingers crossed, is traveling <laughs> someplace. We don't know because things are closing, but they're not yet opening. So that I, I, I'm just hoping it's going to keep on moving across the states. And that was another big, big door that opened to me and to so many uh, artists, if uh, She's she's the founder of the Diaspora Vibe Cultural Arts. She calls it an incubator. And um, that was also a a learning experience experience for me that was great. Yeah, really. I wanted to ask you, Evelyn, um, discussing these exhibits and the people that you've come across, how do you feel that when you first started um, going back um, to decide that you wanted to pursue art and specifically fibers. How do you feel the community that you've um, collaborated with, that you've participated with, how do you feel that it's grown for you in terms of numbers from when you first began to the current fiber community you have now in Miami? Yeah, well, the like Maria was, we, we, were, we, we met at the fiber arts group and it's really the more you get into it, the more you get to know people that that are into into fibers. But I think it's really something more of uh, it's really growing all over. I don't know if you if you went for, uh, to the Bass Museum that they closed in past sept- September, a solo exhibit by Sheila Hicks, but she's. I would say the one of the best known fiber artists here in America, even though she doesn't live here. But that was so great, and fiber art is really was really put in the map maybe eight years ago, around, and uh, their fiber. Um, uh, biennales in, in Italy, in in Spain. There was one in my country in Uruguay two years ago. So it has really been growing and growing. 
And here to hear the thing with the wool, for example, that I mainly work with, that now I'm a little bit more towards working with a more of a recycling a materials because I think the world should move into the into that. <laughs> but uh, here in Miami, because of the weather, there are not so many people that knit, and you don't feel the the need to, you know, comfort yourself with anything warm. <laughs> so, anyways, I started um, working with um, recycled uh, silk made out a uh, made from saris from from india and that is like that's exactly the same thing i enjoy about working with hand dyed wool you can see the the hand of the people that dyed it or the hand of the people that that spin that that is a uh, recycled uh, silk so i think that that's what like for me, it's yeah, it's from all across the the world, but it's 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 very unique, no, because n- n- you never find the same the same colors or the same combination or the same even the same weight, the same like some of them are very thick and <laughs> and some of them are yeah very thin because it was all hand spoon, and that's what I think I enjoy the most, but. Did I answer your question, Elisa? <laughs> you did, and then you answered another one, which I was also curious about, which is like <laughs> the current materials you use, because I don't know if ah. they do export Uruguayan um, wool here. Maybe they do. Not, not to, I don't. I don't know. I'm not a fiber artist, but I was curious since you mentioned the environment, um, what you were leaning towards, because you did mention bamboo. Um, material being a source and now you also mentioned the recycled um, yeah. sorry yarn as being a source so you answered my next question without me even having <laughs> to ask yeah. you I also I have been working with um, I did a, a, a sculpture made out of they call it a play they made a yarn out of, you know, like grocery store bags. How do they call it? Plan, plan, instead of yarn. Yeah, plastic plastic base. Plastic, plan, like P-L-A-R-N, I think. It's not yarn and it's plastic. That is a new, that's the word of the day, plarn, plarn. plastic yarn. I've never heard of that in my life. And I think it sounds fascinating. I'm curious to see what plarn objects you have. Um, I kind of sort of wanted to go back into the past and and ask you, because I think a few um, people have had this, um, it's not an issue per se, but it's just like a life experience, which is changing careers. And so going from Mm. something as in, changing careers but more specifically taking elements of what you picked up in that previous career and bringing that into your new one so I wanted to incorporate that with you since you said in your past you were you did study law and um, obviously you had to learn um, mitigation I'm guessing some kind of like um, paperwork or that sort of thing how have you brought the things that you learned from your law school days to the present in your art career and design career right well I, not only f- for my art career and for my design career, for, but for 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 life, the, those are you know the you always have to. I, I 
it's it's a it's it was a a great background to have and i still carry it with me in in everything like everything i do is i i wouldn't say law oriented but but i i'm always careful like what my professors taught me when i was 18 19 20 years old and sometimes the the thing is the brain of an artist works so different from the brain of of a lawyer (laughs) that but I started when when I realized my brain my artist brain is taking over I I talk to myself and I say Evelyn come on Let's be practical. <laughs> you know, when 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 you don't want to read a contract or you don't even want to read instructions or anything. So that's when I my my memory comes back from when I had to read everything. <laughs> yeah, I and, enjoy and, and I think that is like that is like something that. Uh, that is always good for an artist who has yeah. like so many hats to put on you know like if you know yeah. something about law if you know something about contracts mm-hmm. or you know something about you know you know there's a lot of structure in in the law right there's a yeah. lot about you know rules yeah. and following rules right, right. or following yes. like yes. Uh, paragraphs or whatever I think that is also like something that that as an artist sometimes you have to also do that stuff right especially when you're doing i'm thinking about um the airport is probably a little bit different but when we are talking about public artworks for example commissions like that you know that would that would live in a public space you know and you have to follow a lot of rules to be able to do that you know but then also like it's contracts if it's contracts with galleries or with you know, whatever, Curator, whatever, curators, whatever you do, I think it's very, very important to have that, um, like for Elisa and, and I was, for example, to run a nonprofit or, you know, to kind of build a nonprofit, you know, like the, all yeah. that, that we had a little, um, I, I always call it a little um, student, no, how, little lawyer, the little lawyer from the FIU law clinic who helped us, you know, like there, yeah. there's a lot of law Perfect. in, in, in art that, you know, yeah, it's sometimes invisible to like the common eye, but it it, it has to do because you're you're dealing with people, and when you're dealing with people, you want to protect the individual, you want to protect yourself, you want to protect yeah. the the um, institution, whatever it is. So there there you mentioned behavior and um, being reasonable. Um, there there's a practicality that goes into it too, and I think that's sometimes when you think art, you don't think practical, <laughs> you just think creative and expression. But there there comes a point as an artist that you have to think. And, and, am I making something that's um, safe for me? Is it toxic? Yeah. Um, will it last? Like there's there's things that have to do with practicality that come into your artwork. Right. Um, I think a few years in, you start to realize that you can't just make whatever. You have to think sometimes about what you do make because um, mm-hmm. sometimes there are, um, whether it's financial repercussions or could be physical repercussions or time management reper- repercussions or things like that. So I was curious about the, like, the things that you feel helped you the most and from that you brought in to your current career as an artist from your law days. But I think it's basically having the, the common sense also is what, what helps you the most through through art. But also I've been very lucky. I never had, well, so far with all these people I told you, I worked with their 
serious people. I never had a problem. Like, you know, you can, you hear so many stories oh, of horror from different artists. I, I never had a, a problem in that sense. I was yeah. lucky. I don't know if it was because I, I know a little bit better, like to protect myself or maybe because I was just lucky to be with the right people. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Or both. Mm-hmm. Mix of both. Or both. Um, I wanted to ask also in terms of the reception, because you mentioned that growing up, um, becoming a lawyer or a a career that seems more serious for parents. I think this is a a common thread I see in some of our stories is that sometimes your parents envision you to do one thing and then you in reality have a, I don't know, like an inkling that you want to maybe try something else. Do you feel that your family has, one, um, embraced this new career of yours? And two, how have you and put that into your children, as you mentioned, going forward. Yes, 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 definitely. Well, my, my children, they always tell me I'm a free spirit. So I'm guessing that implies <laughs> that I'm a true artist. But for, in, in my parents, I'm... I'm sure I had it like I have I have a, a little embroidery from made made by my mother and I could tell that you know how nowadays uh, I don't know one of the classes I took with with Pip Brandt she always taught us to use embroidery as a, as a drawing tool and that's what my mother did I don't know 50 years ago and without realizing she never followed the little patterns that she was supposed to to follow so I'm sure I had it from from my mother that uh, that she was very very artistic and creative with everything but uh, yes and 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 my kids yeah but I think everybody's happy to have an artist in the family (laughs) I don't know, Elisa. <laughs> Sometimes they come in, they, they're like, oh, I, I told so-and-so you would help them out with this thing. And I'm like, I don't do that. Right. <laughs> or I don't yeah. know how to do that. Or um, or you should, that, that costs money. That takes time. You know, so sometimes they offer you for these things that you really don't want to do. But then it's like, oh, I'll try. And then, yeah. but then sometimes you have to learn to say no, which I think is another point. Sometimes you have to learn to say no. To say but no. funny enough, my, my brother is a lawyer too. And I think he's always happy if I, you know, give him or donate uh, artwork to him to decorate his law office. <laughs> I'm sure. That's kind of like, yeah. oh yeah, that's kind of. And my other brother has a hotel, so he's, I guess, also happy if he gets some artwork. But oh. other than that, I'm not yeah. sure. <laughs> I'm not sure if the if um, I I I think I also come from a family where like more practical things would have been appreciated more. But I also became a psychologist, which was also not that I practical. Remember? So I'm like, yeah. um, I went from uh, not practically not practical to absolutely not practical so i kind of (laughs) downgraded even more the practicality of it but um you know what in the end i feel like it's it's very liberating when you come into yourself right that i feel like i experienced that when you kind of like really peel away the layers that were put on you from the culture from your family and you come to your true like calling and um but then also like everything that everything others like for me was psychology for me for you it's law for elisa it's also like the design background i i would say it's kind of like you Mm -hmm. you just 
use it. You know, you just all, all of that, even your family history or your where you come from, your country. You know, it's just informs your artwork. So I feel like even now this this virus situation, I feel like everything, always like everything that gets thrown at me is even if it's really bad. In the end, it's just gonna nourish the art that I'm gonna create. You know, so in in some way. Every bad experience always has that because I can always use it. And has it some learning art, experience right? yeah. as well as a right. result. Yeah. Um, talking about layers, Evelyn, I wanted to ask about um, your 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 fiber pieces. This is my last question, by the way. Then Marie's going to ask you her final question. Um, your fiber pieces. You mentioned how you don't just see them as something that's two dimensional, and if they were two dimensional, you wanted to make them sculptural. I want to talk about installation because the artworks that I've seen from you haven't just been um, either stretched to a canvas or just plain. Um, they tend to go into three dimensional. So what, and I think when that happens, you have to think about how are you going to hang it? What is it going to be displayed on? So what um, have you had to learn um, as an artist from creating the sculpture as to how it's going to be perceived by the viewer in an installation that's site specific? Right. Well, that that's that comes my my interior design background is so helpful because, you know, you you learn how to treat a, a whole room, not just a, a flat. So even though it's challenging, because some of the like one of the luminaires, probably the one you saw, the very colorful one, is like almost 20 feet uh, high. So <laughs> it's big and it's challenging, but I think it's it's my, my interior design background that comes in and can figure out how to use that space for the site-specific, whatever I'm making, usually sculptures. Mm-hmm. With the lighting as well, I imagine. Yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. Okay, we're already already at our very last question. So I know it's a bit of a stretch, but you have been sitting in an imaginary virtual rocking chair. Yes. I have to come up with a better introduction to this last question, but it grants you three wishes, even if it's just imaginary for now. Uh, it does still exist in my studio at the Bakehouse, inaccessible at the moment. But uh, so, so um, you, you get three questions anyway. It's a magical rocking chair. And so you get three questions, but uh, not, not three questions. You get three, three wishes uh-huh. and you have to say them out loud for them to come true, but they do come true. Um, so what are your three wishes for our rocking chair Uh, okay so my first wish would be for us all to be in good health you ladies my my family myself and everybody else the planet yeah yeah then the uh, the second wish would be something a little bit more for myself like may i have the good luck and fortune to to keep on doing art that it's relevant for for people for and inspiring and for people to and also giving them joy and the third wish is something that i'm gonna show you It's something that I'm making with a old um, springs from a, from an old mattress. You know when springs yeah. used to be all this metal thing? Remember how I told you that we, we can combine metal with, with fibers? 
And this is a sculpture I, I knit a, a, a breast or a boob. And so I'm going to call it, it's going to be an installation. And I want to make this into the women's spring, meaning that we women as artists uh, will be finally sprung over and recognized. <laughs> Absolutely. I like that. I look forward to seeing that installed, especially if there's like a lot of them that'll look really beautiful. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah, seven. I don't know if that's one mattress used to have seven springs, but that that's all I have. So that'll be my installation. Women's spring. Wonderful. <laughs> Thank you so much for sitting with us, Evelyn. We really appreciate you taking time out of your day. Um, thank you to our you. listeners. We hope everybody stays safe and um, remains in good health. And um, we look forward to um, catching up with you later. We will be linking your website to ours. So our listeners, if they're curious, can definitely go check you out. And um, once again, thank you so much, Evelyn. Thank, thank you. you. Bye. <laughs> Bye. We'll see you next week. Bye, everybody. <laughs>